0: This week on Dig Me Out...
1: I think this is a, a solid argument for don't buy the record based on one single.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Tim and Jay review, now I'm a Cowboy, by The Outers.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Minnici, and joining me once again, my co-host jason ziak yo 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 yo, jay
2: i feel like i need to like have a greeting
1: well that's the one you should not go with
2: okay i'll every week i'll try a new one try a different one that one didn't work okay duly Um, noted
1: thank you jay we're on episode 176 it's season four and we're taking a break from requested reviews this week and this is an album and a band that i picked uh, recently, I reached out to you. I said, Jay, give me a couple albums. want to throw them in the hopper. And uh, we're going to get to those. But first, we are going with a band that I selected. They're called The Autours. And we're going to review their 1994 album, Now I'm a Cowboy. 20 years since this album came out. Jay, prior to me providing this album to you, were you familiar with The Autours?
2: I wasn't how is it possible that you're recommending an album i wasn't aware of
1: so this is i came up across this i guess band and album in, in two ways one is back during the original heyday of Britpop and and what was going on when we were in college there were a lot of second tier Britpop bands that got tossed around both in you know like the mid to late 90s um you know your your main bands were like oasis and blur Pulp, Suede, Verve, Supergrass, those kind of bands, and then you had your second tier, which was like the Long Pigs and Manson and Marion, and they weren't necessarily—they didn't fit the Britpop label exactly or perfectly. You know, Manson was a little experimental, and Marion had a little bit more of an edge to them, and but there were there were these bands that were sort of out on the on the edges of Britpop, but still were lumped in. And the Auteurs was one of those bands that I, I always read about. And I think I heard the single, um, which is a, the first track on this song, Lenny Valentino. Because when I was looking through what I wanted to review, and I was I wanted to go with something from 94 because I wanted it to be 20 years and work that sort of weird anniversary you know uh, tie-in there. And I saw this album pop up, and I was like, oh, okay. So I, I just re-listened to the first song. I was like, okay, this sounds familiar. I've definitely heard this single before, so let's do this record. And so I picked it based on that. Just I've I know I've heard this before. Whether it was like maybe it was a a video that I saw on 120 minutes, or or maybe we played the single at the station. I don't remember, but it it sounded familiar enough without ever really knowing the album from back then. So that was my reason for picking this. Was I think I knew the single. Let's jump into the whole record and see if this album as a whole is worth uh, revisiting. So that's how I that's how it came about. Uh, picking this record was uh, Fuzzy Memory, which, as we were discussing before the podcast, uh, is quite something that is happening more and more often. Uh, <laughs> that was my reason for picking them. Now would be a good time to go into the history of this band.
0: History of the band.
1: So the Artours formed in London, England in 1991 by Luke Haynes. And he was previously in a band called The Servants. And he formed uh, the Autours with his then-girlfriend Alice Redman on bass, Glenn Collins on drums, and James, uh, shortly after they formed, and this is with uh, Haynes playing guitar and singing, um, shortly after they formed and started playing, they added James Banbury on cello. So they were a four-piece but not what you would consider like the traditional four piece of having a second guitar player. They had a cello player. Which puts them in the uh, the American indie realm of like a, a Verbo or trying to think of some other bands that had a string player as their as their you know, instead of an extra guitar player. Um, their first single, Showgirl, was praised by the British music magazine Melody Maker. And it got them a recording contract with Hut Records. Their first full-length new wave came out in 1993 and was nominated for the Mercury Prize. That was when they first started getting lumped in with the Britpop scene, but uh, Luke Haynes was not a fan of the Britpop scene and often made derogatory comments about it in the press. Um, it was between the first and the second albums that drummer uh, Glenn Collins was replaced by Barney Rockford. They released their second album... In 1994, the one that we're really reviewing now, I'm a cowboy. They followed that up with an EP called The Autours vs. Uzik, which is spelled U-Z-I-Q. Um, it was basically a remix EP of their songs by producer Michael Paradinas. At the time, Haynes said that he was fond of contemporary techno and house music more than the Britpop bands. You- In yeah, in '96, <laughs> the auteurs released after How'd Murder. that work out? Yeah, well, he was early in the. Um, you know, that was just prior to the the takeover of popular music by Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy. So, which rock and roll never recovered from that takeover, that hostile takeover, as you as you know, Jack. It could. Uh, the coup. Yes. In 96, they released the album after murder park. The interesting aspect of this album, it was produced by Steve Albini and recorded at Abbey road studios. It followed a year in which Haynes had spent most of his time in a wheelchair, uh, after he jumped off a wall because he had, he was, uh, he was having a bit of a breakdown from touring and, uh, jumped off a wall and injured his injured himself and ended up in a wheelchair. Um, yeah so this gets even weirder with this guy so haynes after the release of this album formed a new band called uh bider Mainoff, which was named after a terrorist organization if you it's spelled b-a-a-d-e-r and then m-e-n-h-o-f uh there's been a movie about the bider mainhoff uh terrorists and um you can read about them on wikipedia and whatnot and so he had this band, this Biter Mainhoff band which would open the shows for the auteurs, and the basically the band would come out in in disguises, play the opening set, and then they would come and then they would go back out and then come back out as the Autors. Okay. Yes. Their last album, How I Learned to Love the Boot Boys, was released in nineteen ninety-nine. In two thousand nine, Haynes released a book entitled Bad Vibes. Um, which is an autobiography of his years with the auteurs. One interesting note is that he never refers to the cellist James Banbury by name in the book. He simply calls him the cellist. (laughs) Apparently there was some bad blood Mm. between him and the cellist. So uh, that is the history of the auteurs. Of course, if you want to suggest an album for us to review, visit the request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We got uh, some Facebook feedback. Scott Russell Halgrom I have this, but I don't know why. Probably bought it just for the great cover art because 1994. Yeah. So let's get into uh, what we liked and what we did not like about this album, Jay. Since I suggested this record, um, I'm going to start. And one of the things I like, which I mentioned, is the lead track. Lenny Valentino.
0: of every shape and size. The motor down from the Assassins on the you The You wanna talk about Britpop.
1: Pop? It has the template for a Britpop song in the mid '90s, early to mid '90s. Uh, Cool guitar riff. It's got attitude. It's up tempo. They use the cello in an interesting way. Uh, It's very subtle, but it's it's in the mix so that it's uh, you can hear it and you might not know that it's a cello. There's I don't know. There's a urgency to this song that we'll get into it later. The rest of the album does not necessarily continue on with. I like all the players on this track. The bass in the chorus is real cool. It does this like drop. He hits the he hits a, a note and then just goes. Mm. Uh, reminds me of uh, the end of um, uh, King Contrary Man by the Cult. Uh, mm. There's a bass drop in a bass drop in the hip hop sense or, or techno sense, but just you just riding the the string from uh, like the twelfth fret down. But I, I in terms of singles i think this is a really strong single a really strong opening track when you listen to it i think it sets up the album as being something that's both familiar yet unique and i think it's you know in terms of brit pop singles i think it's a pretty pretty good one even if this band did not consider themselves to be brit pop so what about you jay tell me one thing that you liked
2: uh you stole my one thing um, this song's amazing. I uh, was really excited when I put the record on the first time and heard it uh, really hoped that I was going to hear a whole album that was in this vein. It reminded me a lot of a band called Beast Milk, which I love. Um, they mm. put on a record in 2013. I would describe them as being a, um, a more intense Interpol. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got... I don't, know, I don't know if they're British or not. They may very may very well be. But they've got this very like melancholy, dark, atmospheric kind of sound. They don't but they don't use like really heavy distortion and stereotypical, you know, devices and sounds to do that. It's really about chord choice and use of re- you know particular kinds of reverb and the way that the vocal um, is delivered and all of that reminded me of this how this band was you know handling this first song there's a there's a darkness to it Mm -hmm. that is very cool but not over the top or obvious i think it it also is a good um mix of where to what to do with his voice and where to put it in the overall song it's not as up front on this song as it is on many others it's um it's actually a little behind the guitars more so than I would say most of the other songs on this record. I think that works really well. His voice is fine. It's just, um, you know, it's limited in terms of the delivery. It's more of a, a spoken kind of delivery. It's not really a singy kind of a vocal style and that suits him really well. And a lot of the melody ends up coming from, uh, you know, the guitars and the cello and uh, um, and the other instrumentation. So you, you just, I think on this song, they nailed the right combination in terms of a mix. Maybe most importantly, the tempo, it's upbeat. It has, like you mentioned, an urgency to it. It also reveals from a you know, this band has some chops in terms of arrangement. You know, mm-hmm. I think the arrangement of the song is pretty sophisticated. Um, even though it is pop oriented, it's still, it's got some nice accents and use of melody and you know it's got enough variation to it that I mean, it keeps it interesting but not you know overly complex it still very much fits in the you know the pop genre it's two minutes to 20 seconds and it doesn't it doesn't go overboard but it's just just enough there to keep it a little bit you know unique and, and different so um yeah I'm, I'm on the same page as you the first song is, is pretty great
1: now let's tackle the rest of the record <laughs>
2: <laughs> that worked out well
1: so I'm actually going to – I might throw you a curveball here. I actually like the majority of the rest of the record, but I don't yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think they deploy the cello in a lot of interesting ways. Um, I'll highlight one one particular track that I, I think it they use it really – in a really interesting manner is uh, Underground Movies.
0: of injury
1: Cello actually is kind of the lead instrument uh, Mm -hmm. in in that song. It's paired with the rhythm section and a and a tambourine. Kind of sounds like a cross between later Pulp and maybe the Kinks. Uh, I'm thinking of like you know like sort of more mellow Ray Davies type stuff, uh, which is what a lot of this record sounds like to me. Once you get past that first track, there's a lot of Kinks influence. Um, you know, a lot of Britpop drew from the Beatles and and Stones and and whatnot. Uh, the Kinks were sort of mentioned as the third band in that uh, historical context of what of where Britpop was coming from. And to me, the Kinks are always the smarter of the of those bands in terms of lyrics and in terms of you know being a bit more ambitious in terms of their storytelling. Um, they weren't as experimental as say the Beatles were as the Beatles went on. Um, And they weren't mining, you know, blues and R&B the way that the Stones were. Um, They were really forging sort of their own path. And I think that that's where this band is is sort of coming from. Which is probably why he doesn't particularly care for the Britpop label um, that was applied to, like, Blur and Oasis. Um, But I think there are comparisons to Pulp. I think there's comparisons to Suede. Not necessarily the first record but you know uh, more like Dogman Star and 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 uh, the albums after that where the production got better and those sorts of bands that were you know willing to play in that sort of slower to mid-tempo and and write these sort of character driven pieces I kind of think of these as as, these are a lot of like little films that he's you know New French Girlfriend and Chinese Bakery have these like very visual lyrics to them Right. Um, So I think in, in a less successful way the rest of the record works for me I just wish that they had varied up the tempo
2: Yeah, I think the rest of the record is very competent, you know, there's nothing about it that's embarrassing or No. Bad, it's just it makes me think of all those bands you mentioned, like Pulp and Suede came to mind a lot, especially Pulp, you know, I have Pulp almost on other than the first song on almost every song on this record as a reference. The problem is that this guy, obviously, I mean, listen to the history of the band. He's obviously got some angst. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, he's got some anger. He's got some opinions. Uh, Some of that comes through lyrically, but it doesn't come through musically all the time. Uh, When he goes into the kind of crooner, you know, storytelling kind of vibe that, you know, Jarvis Cocker would do, it makes sense for pulp because uh, his personality He, you know, he's not an angry guy and suede's not an angry band. They're very like, you know, they make statements and about, you know, society and politics or whatever. And and those sorts of things, but they do it in a very like, Oh, I don't know. um, Just a different take on it. You know, it's not an angry take on it. It's a clever take. It's a sophisticated take. It's a sometimes funny take, but it, it's not angry and this guy has got some anger in him and that's totally fine and i think that's a great element for you know um for a brit pop kind of approach you know it's, it makes it unique and there's moments in songs where you get that you know they'll get to a chorus it's it's got some snarly guitar to it and um you know there's some attitude that comes out and obviously the first song just the the tempo and the urgency lend itself to, you know, working in that format. It's in a lot of these songs where it's slower, I'm missing that. It just doesn't sound true to who he is, or it's just missing that extra bit of, like, attitude, you know, that you get from a pulp or a suede. I mean, those bands just, like, they have a swagger to them, you know? They just, there's a strut and there's a cockiness and there's there's this, you know, larger-than-life persona that comes out of those bands and this band doesn't quite have that and that's not a bad thing it's just a bad thing for the type of songs that some of these are just it can't carry it so I think the other part is that you know some of these songs if there's so much focus on the vocal and there's nothing wrong with his vocal it's just not the kind of vocal where you need to put that much attention on it you know it needs to fit like the first track it needs to fit more Um, equally with the rest of the music and sometimes on this record it's it's such a huge focus it'll sort of be just basically a vocal and cello or a vocal and you know quiet instrumentation and you know there's there's just not enough there to carry it so I find myself being a little bit either disinterested or just sort of like oh it's okay I mean there's some really good arrangements I mentioned the first song has good arrangement. There's some really good arrangements on this. There are some clever um, sort of melodies, um, some really cool chord changes. It's just missing that little bit of, it's just missing an element. And um, I think I kind of went over what some of those were, but uh, it also reminded me, evoked a lot of like um, the Benz era Radiohead for me too. Like, The upper classes, I thought a lot of uh, where you had in that song. Myself through a lot of this record, like thinking about what other bands from the time that they sounded like.
1: You know, I mentioned the Beatles earlier, but I think specifically there's a lot of George Harrison on this record. I'm thinking, you know, in terms of the guitar playing. um, When I heard, you mentioned so much of the upper classes, and that's what jogged my memory. The guitar solo in that song, it's um really up front, and it has this. It reminds me a lot of a Harrison. Style guitar solo.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. The down, dun, dun, down, down. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a, uh, there's, that's one of those, again, that's one of those melodies that I'm talking about. You know, there, there's these melodies that come out in guitar solos or just uh, little interludes or chords or whatever that are just, they're almost so good, they make you wonder if they're picked up from somewhere else. I mean, they, they sound very familiar, um, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, it's like there's there's stuff like that on there. But uh, I don't know. It's not complete for some reason.
1: Yeah, and I think that has to do... I don't know that it's not complete. I think it's that his vocal is not as distinct as it needs to be. You know, when you hear Liam Gallagher sing, you know it's Liam Gallagher. Yeah. You know, he has a very distinctive voice. When you hear... Jarvis Cocker, when you hear Brett Anderson from Suede I think their vocals are very well defined I don't hear a, you know if you had told me that this was you know, one of a million other Britpop bands like Feeder or you know one of those Gene or Nancy Boy or whatever the hell, there was a million bands back then I've been like okay because I don't really know what I, I'm sure I've heard all those bands, but none of their vocalists necessarily stuck out to me mm-hmm. uh, as being, you know, unique in the way that uh, you know the the bands that were the the biggest had very distinct, stylized, and and personality-wise, you know, lead vocalists. And that's I think that's the the thing that's uh, holding them back. We're not holding them back, but it's just not as successful. Um, it's just not having a wholly unique lead singer, which holds back most bands. to Be honest.
2: That is very true. New French Girlfriend is an interesting song. I, I think it's probably maybe my second favorite song on the record. It, it, although I want to ask you about you know the intro of that boy when it starts off, it sounds like it could be off of this as hardcore you know
1: yeah um, which just comes out three years later
2: yeah and what is that he goes that there's that the when the drum fill comes in that doesn't that sound exactly like another song and i cannot think just the way the drums come in and the in the little there's a little interlude there when the when the, the the rest of the band comes in man it sounds like another song and i just cannot quite place what the hell it is
1: doing that uh, na, 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 na. that part
2: it'd be around like 20 seconds
1: i'll have to listen
2: I, it, I i don't know if it's a pulp song or what but anyway that's that's another song where you know the arrangement of that is really well done and it reminded me of some modern bands like i guess they're kind of older at this point but british Sea power reminded me of beast milk a little bit mm-hmm. um her like his delivery kind of goes in an e hunter kind of place which Mm -hmm. I I love. Um, There's a harmony guitar solo on this. It's really cool um, in that, uh, you know, we would think of harmony guitar solos as being like uh, Thin Lizzy, right, which are very precise and um, amazing. But this is a take on it. It's a little bit different in that the guitars aren't exactly, you know, as clean, and you kind of get this. They use this really cool overdrive on this record for a lot of the distortion you just get this very organic sort of unpredictable kind of tonality out of it. And, and by having the two guitars harmonizing a little bit on the solo, it, it, it comes off sounding really cool. And that's one of the things I, I think I liked about this record too, is that when they do bring that lot guitar in for a solo or even chords, you know, they're not shy about it. <laughs> no. They're kind of a, uh, it, it, it's almost like, you know, maybe one or two, uh DB too loud. But I kind of dig it, you know. It's kind of like not hiding the fact that it's overdubbed, and it's just it, it brings life to the songs in a lot of cases. So uh, those are that's usually a bright point uh, point for me on a lot of these songs is when they they bring that in. It's it's a great tone. It's a it's a um it's a it's a overdriven tone, but it still has a lot of like clean characteristics to it. So it has a lot of texture, and, and it almost like well, let's talk about the cello a little bit. Like, yeah, I'm a big fan of cello. I think it's a beautiful instrument. And I think it really, you know, for a band that's doing melancholy, it obviously brings that to the music. I do feel like on this record, though, that at times it, it starts to weigh the record down. Like it, it starts to take over and become too much of a focus. And I think this band, just in general, I feel like they're at their best when they're just, just the format is a little simpler. You know, they're just rocking. What, what do you think?
1: Well, you know, cello, it is a great instrument used in doses, but it's not like a guitar where you can, with a guitar, you can change your tone you and use effects. I mean, I'm sure there's some cello players that do that, but I'm not. that's not what's going on here. So you're dealing with a very limited, I guess, palette. Sometimes he comes up with really innovative things to do, like I mentioned, on underground movies. And you know, New French Girlfriend has some interesting things as well. It, it, there are a bunch of songs where he does interesting, interesting things with the songs, but then there are other ones where it just sounds like, well, the cello's got to be playing something, can't have the guy yeah. sitting there and not doing anything.
2: Yeah. And he just does the sad strings thing, you
1: know, right? And everything <laughs> becomes melancholy.
2: Yeah, it's just overly, it's just a little too. I don't know. It turns a little Broadway or something like just not quite edgy enough. I think this band has got some edge to them, you know, obviously this guy's personality and um, there is some attitude to some of the lyrics and the, the, that guitar tone and there's, there's some edge here and it just, I would say half of the record that just gets killed because the Cho sort of needs to find a place to be and unfortunately it just picks the most stereotypical thing to do. Um, right so I agree with you I think there's like underground movies the way they use it there is brilliant I love that Um, I just wish some of the other songs were you you know they just let them sit
1: out (laughs) I wish they had swapped it out sometimes for like a Hammond B3 organ or you know uh, a synth something like you know just something different yeah one song I wanted to highlight uh, was Modern History because it's a bit of a departure for the band um, it goes into this sort of long uh, crescendoing uh, jam part at the end of the song and just sort of building and building and getting louder and louder. And um, I, I thought in terms of, you know, the band is pretty tightly construct or the songs are pretty tightly constructed on, on the majority of the record, you know, they they're dealing with verses and choruses and throwing in some bridges and whatnot. And they play with some dynamics, but this is a song that sort of starts to move into the other aspect of that British, uh, Brit pop sound, which is like the verve, mm. uh, where they would play in a, like a broader space and, and do some more experimental stuff. Um, I don't know that this is the band to tackle it, but on, on, on every track. But I thought for a, a change of pace, I thought that was a, an interesting direction that they went on that song. And I wonder what you thought.
2: Uh, yeah, it's nice to hear them just play. You know, I, I think for all the cool arrangement stuff that I appreciate about this record, um, it's it's nice to just hear them be a band in a room and just let things happen. I think it would have been nice if it was the Almender and trimmed off a couple other yeah slower songs um i think the front part of the song is fairly forgettable but the end is pretty fun and and just in general would be would have been nice to hear them on the record be a little bit less like calculated um and just let things loose a little bit more like this song is at the end
1: so let's get into our overall ratings for this record That would be a worthy album, a better EP, or a decent single. I'm going to start, since I picked this one, and I'm going to say I would be better off with an EP. I think that we both agree, Lenny Valentino, great single, great opener. The rest of the album, it's safe to say, it it pales in comparison to that song. It sets up the album to be something that really it's not, um, and they never get back into that territory, but you know, we mentioned songs like new French girlfriend and underground movies. And there are, I think there's another four to five other tracks worthy of repeated listens. And like I said, at the beginning, I like the majority of this record. I just don't love it. It's just not something that I want to go back and listen to on a weekly basis, other than that first song, which is just incredibly cool and well-written and, and has everything going for it. Um, but I would, I would take another four or five songs and make an EP out of this.
2: I agree. Um, I'm at an EP. I think, like I said earlier, there's nothing about this record that is embarrassing or just silly or just, you know, skip worthy. There's not even any songs on the record. You know, we've. I feel like every album we've reviewed has one or two just filler bullshit songs of like, I, and I'm talking like Noise or you mm-hmm. <laughs> know, four minutes of like, things that would barely qualify as music. Um, It doesn't have anything like that. It's 11 songs. Um, It's, what, 45 minutes, I think, in that ballpark. 40 minutes. You know, there's one that's six minutes. There's one that's five minutes. But most of them, you know, are in the three-minute range. Um, I think you can make the case for a record. I'm just like you where, you know, when it comes down to it, there's probably three or four, five maybe songs that I think, you know, are on the above average scale. And I think everything else is just, just average. There's something below average, but everything else is just average. And, um, you know, I think for, I don't think it would make a true, I don't think it would make a great album. I think it would make a, you know, above average EP. So that's where I'm at.
1: I think this is a, a solid argument for don't buy the record based on one single.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, unfortunately, back in 1994, you didn't have the internet in the same right. way that you did today, and you couldn't go and you know sample the album at iTunes. So oh. you heard that Lenny Valentino, and you're like, "Oh man, I got to go buy that record." Then you go to get the record, and you're like, right. "Where's the other single, <laughs> or where are the other so, three songs like this?"
2: But well, here's what what was interesting at about that time, and I don't think we'll ever see that again. It's, it's, see this again in in that. I agree, and we would, you know, take us at this time. We would have went out, bought the record. You know what, what it would it cost? Maybe twelve bucks, ten mm-hmm. bucks. You know, we, we didn't. We we had part time jobs or no jobs. You know, so it wouldn't. You know, twelve bucks is not an insignificant purchase when you don't have any money. But we would like the song. We went out. We'd have got this. We have got the record. We start listening to it. Quickly realize like, oh shit! The rest of this record does not sound like this song. Now with Spotify or. RDO, or any of these services, you quickly realize that, you know, you favorite that one song and you move on. When you've invested, you know, a fairly decent amount of money on the whole record, things were different. Mm
1: -hmm. You almost
2: convinced yourself. (laughs) You may not have convinced yourself to like it, but you definitely gave it every chance possible. Oh, yeah. So... In that context, do you think that you would have ended up, you know, through repeated lessons, you would have threw it in your car or whatever, your Walkman, it would have stayed in there. You weren't going to change it, you know, very much, at least for the first couple of weeks you got it and you would have listened to it over and over again. Do you think that you would have ended up liking it more than in today's context?
1: Well, I'll would backtrack have, would have won a little you bit. over. I'll backtrack a little bit just because I was never the type of person who would buy an album based on a single song unless I already knew the band okay. from, from previous albums I would have looked for this in the used bin and this was 94 so it'd be at Bowling Green so I'd be in either used kids or um, not used kids I'd be at Mad Hatter's or uh, Finders and I'd be scouring the used bin trying to find this for like $4.99 with a with a you know a, a punch a hole punch in the, in the spine Hoping that it was a promo copy that uh, just got tossed out of a radio station from somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, that would be my first type of or uh, uh, attempt to make an acquisition, and I would keep a mental note if I ap- if I ever like went into another record store, I'd be like, oh, I gotta go. F- I wonder if that Auteurs Records here because I had a great single. I doubt mm-hmm. I would have bought it new, just because I was I was so cheap and so poor at that time. Uh, my my. Job in '94 of cleaning dishes in the uh cafeteria, uh, was not necessarily paying a lot of uh, was not providing a lot of extra income, so it's basically paying still, for my once a was week East of Chicago bucks. pizza.
2: That was still four or five bucks, which to listen right. to it now, you know, I I'm probably a premium, premium yeah. sp- Spotify subscriber that's 10 bucks a month, so right, <laughs> that gives no, me all the music in the world.
1: I would have convinced, I definitely would have. Convinced myself that this was probably a better record or or a record that I liked more. Not that it's a bad record, but I liked it more than I really did because I had spent money on, you know, purchasing the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I tell you, one of the best days was when um, I went into uh, one of those stores and in the used section, because the CDs were open, they had set up just like a CD player. Or you could just pop any CD and listen to it before you bought it. Now, you couldn't do that with the new ones because they had shrink wrap. But yeah, the used, used ones, them. you could. Well, that so was that... a dumb
2: idea on their part. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, you know, they started I mean, it doing it really in record nice,
1: stores, too. Really and, nice and, customer like the service there, but uh, yeah.
2: that probably didn't help sale
1: though. all. Well, you remember, like, when you go to, to the Virgin Megastore and they'd have the kiosks where you could listen to the new releases. And they'd have, like, 12 of them all-in-one station and you can just push a button and you can listen to the new releases yeah, yeah that was a good way to filter through stuff too but yeah now, but now i have bought a
2: ton of music i mean i don't even want to think how much money i've spent on music where i you just never you didn't hear it either i didn't hear it and i just bought it based on i like the band or only heard one song it's just the way it was You know, even that Virgin Megastore concept was pretty revolutionary for the time. I mean, most little small record stores and, you know, Kmart's and places like that did not have listening booths. So, No. (laughs) You basically, you know, you heard the one song and thought, hey, I think I'm going to like that. And you went out and bought the rest of the cassette or CD and convinced yourself to like probably more of it than you really did because it was such a significant investment. You know, I think now a little... Off topic, but this is something I want to talk about anyway. And then we can wrap it up. But I've heard now, you know, that that's a bad thing now, right? That you can quickly survey things and, and not commit to them. And then, you know, there's obviously the debate about people aren't buying as much music. I think what's going on now is that we're seeing convergence of you can hear everything ahead of time, and music is in a lot of cases worse than it's ever been. The quality of it is just shit. So you're seeing this like perfect storm of like people having access to actually hear it and be able to realize that this is terrible and I'm not going to spend any more money on it. Like I'll listen to it on a subscription basis because it's a low investment, but I'm not going to go out and like buy the vinyl or buy the, you know, just a lot of cases is just not music is just not very good right now. I mean, there's some good bands obviously and there's some stuff if you dig, you can find it, but just in general, if you look at the quality of pop music compared to, like, the 60s, 70s, or even early 80s, you know, there is no Billy Joel right now. You know, they, you can like or dislike Billy Joel, but the dude is talented. And, like, think about the right. amount of talent. He well, there's no Michael
1: Jackson. I mean, you could say right. Justin Timberlake, but I'm Mike sorry, but Justin, Justin Timberlake songs. no Michael Jackson. <laughs> right. They, they pale in comparison.
2: He's a celebrity and he's, you know. Partnered up with some people to make some, you know, some fun pop song. But he is no Michael Jackson, right? So you just like look at the quality of the music and the fact that people, you can't fool people anymore. You can't sell it with an album cover and a lot of marketing and get a ton of people to just on blind pay faith go buy it and then realize when they get home that like, oh wow, this album kind of stinks. Oh wow, well, I put my twelve bucks or fifteen bucks into it. I can't, am I? I can't take it back. Um, that that environment doesn't exist anymore. You actually have to. <laughs> write an album's worth of songs that are worth not only people listening to a lot on a subscription service but in in a lot of cases you know like i do if i really love an album i'll you know i'll buy the vinyl version i'll buy it you know on mp3 to make sure i always have it you'll take that extra effort to really own it right um that takes a lot that's that's a high bar so anyway i wanted to rant on that for a while
1: no that's fine I'm pretty sure I have purchased records that I didn't hear a single song off of them, but it yeah. was, there was a sticker on it that said, if you like this, this, and this band, <laughs> or was produced by this guy, and I was like, oh, well, he produced it, and I, and I know he produced this other record I like, so I'll I buy it. Yeah. I mean, that's how far I probably have gone with some records in the past, yep. so, and got you completely do that. burned.
2: I do that now all the time. It's just, it doesn't cost me anything. I go on Spotify right. and look the band up, and throw it into a, a to-do playlist and i get to it and i'm like hey it's all right you know sometimes i'll what the case of like beast milk i was like wow this is incredible like this is i've been taking it out of my playlist and i'm like hey i kind of really like to own this on vinyl and but that's like one of probably you know 50 albums i've listened to in that you know discovered in the last six months that you know the majority of them i, I kind of dig they're fine but they weren't didn't blow me away or didn't make me want to go further, you know, with the, with investing in the band or anything. Right. It's different times, man.
1: True. Dat. True. Dat. (laughs) All right. Well, we have spent plenty of time both on the tours and on our recollections of CD purchasing and how that has evolved into, uh, actually being able to, uh, not buy the shit that they want you to buy, and only buying the shit that you want to buy. So, uh, hope that uh, everybody's enjoyed this episode. Coming up, a very fun pick from Jay coming up soon. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil it completely, but I'm just gonna say, if you wanted the best, uh, you're gonna get the best. And I'm gonna leave it at that.
2: The hottest band in the world.
1: Yes. That's it, folks. Another one of the books. Thanks, everyone, for listening on our various outlets, including Radio IO, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, I- iTunes, all those places. Be sure to visit digmeoutpodcast.com for our daily news and updates and upcoming episodes. And if you like what you heard, please consider leading us some positive feedback at iTunes. We'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.